Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosser. It gives me great pleasure to welcome back to Viewpoints Dr. Adam Fraser, peak performance researcher, international presenter and author. Welcome back to Viewpoints, um, Adam Fraser. Pleasure to be here. Adam, um, these are tough times at the moment. Um, from your perspective in your field, how are you sustaining yourself? Well, that's a question I don't get asked very often. <laughs> to tell you the truth, um, my business is all about, uh, like we have a big research arm, but the majority of the work we do is putting people in a room, getting them to sit very close to each other and interact. And during a COVID situation, that's not a great business model. So um, to be really honest, when COVID hit hard and I saw all my um presentations that were booked out for the year be postponed. Um, I've got to tell you, I sat on the lounge for a couple of days, watched Tiger King and binged on <laughs> junk food. Uh, that was how I nurtured myself. But after a couple of days, I thought, all right, let's get back on track and uh, started to think about how we're going to evolve and handle this thing. But how I'm, how I'm looking after myself is I've never applied my own research to myself so much. Um, it's good that I'm a struggle and discomfort researcher, so <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm practicing what I preach. Yes, and, and you use two classic words there, struggle and discomfort, and I wouldn't imagine there's anybody anywhere, probably in the whole world at the moment, who isn't struggling and suffering some discomfort. Um, now, now, Strive Research is very much focused on this, You uh, and you are a researcher and, and one with credibility. Um Lead us through those, uh, those, those, those areas. Yeah, well, we just re released a new book called Strive with the tagline, Embracing the Gift of Struggle. And little did we know we'd release a book in February and we'd move into probably the greatest struggle most of us have ever come across. But what triggered this book is we've been studying transformation with Deakin University. So we've been looking at how to educators evolve, how to professional services evolve, utilities and what we kept coming up against is that the biggest block to evolution is that people can't handle the struggle and discomfort that comes with change. So we started researching transformation and then we actually ended up studying struggle and discomfort because that is one of the key blocks to any sort of transformation. Yes, and, and moving forward from there, Adam... Yeah, well, what we started to, to look at is that well, one of the key things we, we did is looked at goal achievement. And you can break a goal down into three main areas. You've got you set the goal, you work towards the goal, and you achieve the goal. And we said to people, what's the best part of this process? And they kind of looked at us in weirdly and said, well, of course, it's the achievement of the goal. It's getting to the end because that's when I feel best. And what our research showed is that after we achieve a goal, we have a moment of elation and we feel good. But then we go into a real low. Like we, we feel lost, we feel sad, we feel despondent. And, and what we found is this was universal. Like whether it's a gold medalist coming back from the Olympics after winning gold, whether it's a person that sold their business for hundreds of millions of dollars, that once we achieve a goal, we feel flat and kind of lost. And what our research showed is the most fulfilling part of achieving a goal is the strive, which is where we work towards the goal. 
And um, and interestingly, the most fulfilling part of the strive is uh, overcoming struggle and discomfort. So the things that challenge us the most that we overcome are the most fulfilling. So that was a, a key thing that we discovered in our research that triggered us to write a book about this thing. Mm. So you said that after a couple of days of couch potatoing and uh, being despondent, uh, uh, you've never applied some of your own research findings as much as you have to yourself. Yep. From a practical point of view, what did that look like? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. What we found in our research is that people that have a functional relationship with struggle do have two big responses. There's the response in the moment of struggle, so when I'm deep in in the trenches with it, but there's also some background behaviours that really um, help support people handling struggle and discomfort. So there's foreground behaviours and background behaviours. And in terms of the foreground behaviours, it's... Well, the first one is the ability to sit with discomfort. So can I actually sit and tolerate the negative emotion and negative thought that comes with tackling struggle. So one of the things that blocks our ability to have a healthy relationship with, with struggle is that we've been taught positive emotion is good and good for you, negative emotion is bad and bad for you. And the moment you experience negative thought or emotion, you try and get rid of it. Like you can't actually sit with it. Now, if you can't sit with it, you fall into dysfunctional behaviours like sitting on a lounge watching Tiger King and and uh, overdosing on sugar. And the other thing is you don't learn from it. So one of the first key findings was that that ability to tolerate the negative thoughts and emotions that come with struggle. Actually, I have a question for you. You know, being an educator with so much experience, have you seen this? change in children like their capacity to when something's hard or or the difficulty of learning are, are they having a different response to this today that's a good question adam uh are they having a different response i think initially they're all pretty disoriented because this is completely out of the norm and i think they're they're struggling um until they find their bearings, and I think their bearings re revolve a lot around relationships with others. Um, and the kids, we're seeing two sorts of kids, the ones who are coming on site to work with us, and yep. some of them are quite apprehensive about it, and it's because they're in unfamiliar human circles, and, and that takes a little while. But after a few days, they seem to get better at it. The ones who seem to be struggling more are the kids who are remote learning from home, who yeah. the virtual connection isn't enough for them. So um, moving past, that's the challenge. Just taking it up a, a bigger level, like you deal with children day in and day mm. out, do you think... Cause, uh, well, a lot of research has shown that children's discomfort levels today or their tolerance of discomfort is, is less, meaning they've been taught by the happiness movement or the motivation world that you, know, uh, you should feel good all the time or, or that feeling bad is, a, is the wrong state to be in. What I'm asking you is, do you think children's 
tolerance to discomfort has got worse. Oh, I would say over my long career in education, I'd say uh, anecdotally, yes. Um, And and that's fed by many conversations over my long career, um, Adam, that I've had with parents who will come to me from time to time with complaints about their child is bored or their child... um, hasn't got any friends or the work's too hard. Um, But the particular one is uh, they don't like their children um, being, uh, what is it, Uh, not challenged enough, haven't got enough friends. Um, And what they're looking for, it's not so much those things, but it's, well, you've got to find a solution for my child's upset and for my upset. And I think paralleling what you're saying, I think there's been a lot of movement to put the responsibility to solve our issues and our concerns at the feet of others. And in our case, um, the teacher, the principal, you've got to do something to solve our problem uh, rather than they have uh, solutions themselves. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because part of the the book we, we studied... Every generation thinks the the next generation have it so much easier than they did. You know, the kind of I to walk three miles in the snow type of attitude. Yes. And with the book, what we looked at is, well, well, from our perspective, that's not true. Like kids today have as much challenge as, well, they're different challenges as to kids years ago. But it, the fundamental difference is that they've been taught that Discomfort is a bad thing or is a sign that something's wrong. And then you also overlay the parenting evolution from, like, you know, I was parented in the 70s and the 80s and, you know, when I displayed discomfort, you know, the response was, I'll give you something to cry about. You know, it was kind of like, we'll deal with the kid and solve your own problems. Then we went stack out generation where we protected them physically. Then we went helicopter parent where we want to protect them emotionally. And now we have lawnmower parent, which you just described, which is I have to smooth the path so my child never has discomfort. And if they have discomfort, someone's going to be to blame for that. Mm. And what these things have done is taught people that the moment they have discomfort, you've got to get rid of that. And you've got to stop that because that is bad or you've got to blame or turn to someone else to solve it for you. So the first piece of our research is to have a functional relationship with struggle. You've got to sit with the discomfort that you're going through and not retreat away from it. And just because we are we seem to be delving into my personal life on this podcast, but you know, <laughs> with what's happening with COVID is, you know, it, it's very disturbing for me and my business and my family. You know, like this thing I've been building for 20 years is being threatened by something that I can't control. And, and what I've been doing is, you know, of course I feel terrible and I feel scared and frightened and upset. And the first thing I did is I went out and hired a psychologist and I went, okay, I'm not going to numb myself through this thing. I'm going to sit with this discomfort and, and start to really analyze, well, do I want to be doing this work? What do I want my life to look like? Have I 
like I'm using this opportunity of distress and discomfort to start to reevaluate things. So does that sort of first step make sense? Mm, absolutely, it does make sense, Adam. Um, we need to take a short break and we can continue that, uh, that thread after the break. Can you hold the line? Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosick. Limited discussion on dealing with struggle and discomfort with uh, Dr. Adam Fraser, Peak Performance Research International presenter and author. Welcome back, Adam. Thank you. Adam, um, COVID-19, this pandemic and and all the struggle and discomfort it's causing, um, what, what sort of practical strategies can people put in place uh, that your research illustrates that they can actually sit with uh, struggle and discomfort? Uh, is it just reframing your mindset or is it more to it than that? Yeah, well, I mean, what our research shows is it's, it's, it's much more than that. And, and, you know, before the break, we talked about the fact that we, we won't sit with discomfort and we have to sort of turn that frown upside down and have a positive response. And, and what our research showed is, is almost the opposite of that. So that first piece is that I feel bad about this situation and it's okay to feel that way. And that leads us into the second finding of our research, which is people who have a very functional relationship with struggle accept their response without judgment. So rather than going, oh, why, why don't I feel good during this or... I'm hearing a lot of people go, oh, I'm not using this time effectively enough or oh, my friends are so much more positive about this or, or why can't I have a better attitude? And they're beating themselves up for their response to this global pandemic that we're all feeling. And what we found in our research, and this is supported by others, is that people who handle struggle and discomfort really well don't spend a lot of time trying to change their response. Rather, they accept their response without judgment. Because when we judge our response to a situation, we get stuck inside our heads. We're we're beating ourselves up. So we're not only dealing with the situation, but we're also beating ourselves up for not having the right response to it. And this piece about acceptance allows us to move on to constructive behavior far quicker then if we're like, oh, why don't I feel this way or I should feel this way? So the judgment paralyzes us mostly into procrastination rather than the acceptance. And, and you know, I, we've talked about how I'm dealing with this situation and one of the biggest things I'm focusing on is the, yeah, I'm, I'm predicting disaster or I'm worrying or I'm uh, feeling anxious and that's okay. And the acceptance piece, allows you to move on. It's almost like the analogy of when a footballer makes a mistake, what do the rest of the team do? They run in and they physically touch them. So they run in and they'll pat them on the head or pat them on the back. And that is to say, it's okay, you're still one of us, let's just move on. What they don't do is go in and criticise them and point out what a dumb mistake it was. So this acceptance allows us to move forward. So that was the second step. So, uh, Henry, do you have any thoughts or comments on that one before no. we move on to the third? Uh, no, I think that makes eminent good sense. It's very, it's very logical. Oh, and oh, actually, this is a great tip for people listening to this: is do this to others when they're in struggle as well. The acceptance piece 
is amazing. Because so often when people are in distress and they turn to us, we go, oh, it's not that bad or, or you'll be all right or I'm sure things will turn around. And the intention is to try and make them feel better. But what you're really telling them is you shouldn't feel this way and you should feel this way instead. So not only do they have the situation they're dealing with, but they're dealing with the, the, the judgment or, or the shutdown or the um, not, you know, you're not validating how they feel. Actually, give you an example. So a friend of mine, uh, Tim, has been having a Skype call with his friends every couple of days just to check on each other because they all live alone and they're a bit isolated. And one day on this Skype call, he said, uh, they said, how are you going? And he said, actually, I'm really, I'm not coping with this situation. I'm not doing very well. I feel really bad. And one of the guys on the call goes, well, Tim, you, mate, you just got to get over yourself because people in rural areas have it so much worse than this. And you've got this and they've and he started to compare them and, and told him that he, how he felt was not, not right. And, and Tim said, you know, well, of course, rural people do have challenges I don't have, but that didn't make me feel any better. And what helps people move on is when you validate and name their emotion. So when you're helping someone through struggle, it's, it's like, yeah, of course you feel scared or, or feeling scared is a normal reaction or being confused. Like, I totally understand why you're confused by this. And when you validate and help them, it enables them to move forward so much quicker. And this is very important in children as well. Yeah, when children misbehave or when children express distress, too often we go, you know, don't act like that or that's not okay or you stop doing that, rather than going, well, you know, asking them, you know, how are they feeling and validating that feeling. You know, um, as you know, we run a, a, a leadership, like a well-being and a leadership program for school leaders called the Flourish Movement. And we teach some of this stuff in that. And uh, one of the principals came up to me and said, every morning my son says, I don't want to go to school, I hate school, and throws a massive tantrum. And she said, every day I say to him, that's not the right attitude. You've got to change your mindset, change your attitude. School's great. She said, we have this fight, and I basically drag him out of the house every morning. I said to her, instead, just do this process, like tell him that it's okay to feel that way, ask him questions about it. And rather than telling him how he feels is wrong, talk to him about it. And a week later, I got this email and said, oh, my gosh, it worked. And I rang her, and what she said is that I'd never asked him, what doesn't he like about school? What is it? And, and she said, all I did was validate and go, I get why you feel that way. I understand that. And she said, once I started to do that, then he started to focus on more constructive behaviours. So that's the second piece. Um, the third piece is to focus on the development that comes out of the struggle. So what we know is that our greatest evolution comes from the hardest, most challenging things we face. And in my presentations, one of the things I ask people is, what are they most proud of? And it's always the most challenging thing they've faced, like move countries, uh, change careers, studied while they were working full time. And when we go through any sort of struggle, what we need to focus on is the development that comes out of this. So 
during that hard time, focus on, well, if I handle this situation, how will I evolve? How will I get better? I mean, Henry, if I was to ask you, how do you think you've seen your school and staff evolve during this COVID situation? Mm. Well, I I have a very positive view. I think notwithstanding um, some people struggling big time, there's uh, an obvious camaraderie and collective togetherness that's um, that has warmed all of us and 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 lifted us. The sense of a school community. I think it's always been strong, but it's extremely evident now. And many people, I think, comment on that sense of um, we all belong with each other. Yeah, and we've been doing a lot of research in this area where we've been interviewing uh, staff in schools, leaders, parents. And universally, parents have said, my school has been amazing. They've just, the communication, the amount of work they're doing, it's just been incredible. I have so much respect for them. Likewise, leaders have said, I've never seen my team innovate, collaborate, work so well. Everyone put the petty crap aside and just got focused on it. And, And that's what comes out of struggle. And if we can focus on the development, like what what are the skills we will gain? How will we evolve if I handle this situation? What that does is, one, gives us something to focus on, but two, gives us hope. And this is not sort of motivational, turn that frown upside down. It's like, okay, I'm in this really difficult, challenging situation. What is the evolution that comes from it? Does that make sense? Oh, makes makes absolute sense, Adam. Adam, as always, time gets away from us. Um, there's so much more we could talk about, but um, there are many days ahead when we can do that. It's, it's great to chat with such an inspirational person as yourself and uh, have you on Viewpoints with us. Thanks so much for your time. I, I really appreciate uh, being on the program and uh, hopefully people got some value from that. I'm sure they. I'm sure they did, Adam. Uh, they, I'm sure they did. Uh, that was Dr. Adam Fraser, listeners, uh, peak performance research international presenter, author, and uh, a person that's presenting us with uh, a perspective of hope in these challenging times. We'll take a short break. Don't go away. <laughs> 